Well, good morning, my dear friends. I trust you had a wonderful Christmas day this past week. We're looking forward to New Year's Day in this coming week. So friends, why don't you bow with me as I ask the Lord's help this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your many, many blessings in the past year. But most importantly, we thank you for the blessings of your holy word. So Father, as we dive into it today, we ask for your guidance and your direction. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the theme seems to be pajamas this morning because I was under a lot of peer pressure, a lot of peer pressure over the past couple of weeks with my friends on staff. Because my friends found out that I was preaching on this Sunday, the same Sunday as the tradition that we have here at Old North, because each Sunday after Christmas, the kids wear their pajamas, so the pressure was on me to wear my pajamas. So I did not curse you with that. But there was pressure. I mean, Dan Osborne is like, Rick, you got to wear your pajamas. you got to do it. Even Betsy Slater got involved in it, just pressuring me. I think I even heard a double dog dairy out there. I believe I heard that. Didn't wear my pajamas, but I am wearing my favorite black slippers. So I'm kind of comfortable up here. So friends, this time of year is so interesting, isn't it? It's interesting, and not just because of Christmas lights and Christmas carols and cookies and kolache. I love kolache. Kolache and cranax and all of those things. It's interesting because a couple of words stand out to us. The words joy and peace. Joy and peace. And we throw those words around like tinsel on a Christmas tree, don't we? Joy to the world, peace on earth. We throw it around and but you know, as we look at the world that we live in, it's tough to see true joy and peace, isn't it? Especially in our country, in our community, even here at Old North, we see a people desperate for true joy and peace. I was at a wedding reception last night, and it was fantastic. The bride and groom were happy, and everybody was smiling and dancing and rejoicing and having a great time. And, but one challenge I had, there was no cookie table. I couldn't believe there wasn't a cookie table at this wedding reception. It was, that, was, that was disappointing, that part. But, but it, people were joyful, and as I looked around the room, I thought, how many of these people are still searching for true joy and peace? Even in this coming year, this coming October, I'm going to have the honor of walking my own daughter down the aisle at her wedding. Looking forward to how wonderful of a time that's going to be. The joy that we will have, and I can't stop thinking about that, but here we are right in the middle of the most wonderful time of the year. And we're going to look at a passage that talks about true joy and peace, and what that looks like. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Psalm chapter 30. That's Psalm 30. It's 461 in the Pew Bible in front of you. And if you came today and you do not own a Bible, the Bible in the Pew Rack in front of you, take it with you. It's our gift to you. Take it home. Now I'm going to read the whole chapter here, and then we're going to walk through it piece by piece. So chapter 30, starting in verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O oh Lord, you have brought my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. 
Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. This is actually a song that was written by King David in anticipation of the building of the temple in Jerusalem, the future building of the temple in Jerusalem. And he was reflecting upon how God had delivered him time and time again from death. He had many, many trials and difficulties. And actually, this is a song of worship. You can see that through this chapter. Now, this chapter is divided up into five different parts. That's kind of how wisdom literature is in the Old Testament. It's kind of divided up. And this chapter is divided up into five different parts, but each is coming to the same conclusion. And preparing for this passage, I kept thinking about how Scripture is very similar to an opera and a baseball game. I know you're thinking, what pastor are you talking about? But my kids, my daughter and my son have polar opposite interests. My daughter is an opera singer, so I've been to many, many operas. And an opera is divided up into acts and scenes. And my son's a baseball player and been to many, 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 many baseball games. And as you know, a baseball game is divided up into innings. But an opera and a baseball game have the same wave of emotions. And we even see that here in this chapter. In fact, this chapter seems to have sermons within the sermon. So let's look at the first part in here. Part one is verses one through three. really talks about rescue and healing in here. It says, I will extol you, O Lord. Now David was chased all over the countryside by his enemies. To and fro, his son chased him. Saul chased him. He had many enemies that chased him down. And he was rescued by the Lord. And David starts this psalm in highly honoring the Lord. I'm sure in David's many, many, many trials, he thought of his own death and that it was imminent. But however, in the Lord's faithfulness to him and his sovereign hand, he delivered David from death. And David here references Sheol, and it just simply means the death of the body is what it means. Death of the body, which we'll all experience at some point in time. The body goes back to the earth. It's where we get ashes and ashes and dust to dust. The body goes back to the earth. But he says here, you restored me to life. In my time as, time as a care pastor here in the past eight years and past 14 years, I was the care coordinator here, here as well. And I've seen many times where the, restore, the Lord has restored our people. I've seen many times where the Lord has used doctors and medicine to restore people to health. And sometimes the Lord just heals. 
He does incredible, miraculous things. And even in this past year at Old North, we've had friends here at Old North that have come through cancer treatments and have been restored in incredible ways. Incredible cancer and ailments are about, but the Lord does heal. He was glorified through his miraculous hand through those ailments. But you know what has encouraged me the most through all of this time? Is when I'm by someone's bedside and that person is dying and they look at me and say, Pastor, I just want the Lord to be glorified. It's okay. In fact, I was thinking of a time a few years ago when I went to visit uh, one of our senior saints here from Old North. In fact, she was a teacher of mine in elementary school. Walked in the room um, at Hospice House. And she looked up and she says, I know I'm going to the Lord now. And I said, dear, how do you know that? She said, well, my pastor is here, so I must be going soon. And she said, that's okay. I'm trusting in the Lord. I want him to be glorified even through my death. So when one is on their deathbed and says, Lord, let your will be done, it is an amazing, an amazing thing. Because, friends, there is no better joy than knowing that you are resting in the tender arms of your heavenly Father. So in this passage of Scripture, we see true joy and true peace from the Lord. Let's look at part two, verses four through five, talks about salvation from wrath. Salvation from wrath. I'm going to read that again. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. He says, sing praises to the Lord. Friends, his anger is for a moment. We are a wayward people, aren't we? We love sin <laughs> at times. I don't know about you, but there's those times when I have sinned. I can't even get the words out to ask for forgiveness. I'm so humiliated. Friends, the Lord is not happy when we sin. But this passage is clear. His anger is for but a moment. Friends, that moment was satisfied. That moment of anger was satisfied on the cross. And the sacrifice of Jesus. Friends, our God is so forgiving, isn't he? There's no faith or religion that can save like our God can save. There's no political party or no, there is no government that can save like our God saves. This passage is encouraging because he is forgiving, but we weep over our sin. I hope you do. We weep over our sin, but it has turned to joy in the person of Christ. His anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime and beyond. Because the joy and peace of this world, friends, it fades away. But the joy and peace of the Lord is eternal. Let's look at part three, verses six through seven, talks about the favor of the Lord, the favor of the Lord. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. By your favor, O Lord, he says. In other words, you look upon me in favor in so many ways. 
You ever had a time in life where things were really going well and you say to the Lord, please don't let this season of life end. Things are going so well. Sometimes it's a season of life. Sometimes it's just one day. You say, Lord, don't let this end. This is going so well. It is going so well. But there are times when it seems as though the Lord has hid his face. There's times where it seems he's turned away from us. Because this great season of life has been interrupted by challenges and difficulties. And it feels like God is not there. And this passage, just like David says, we are dismayed. and We're brought down. But the joy and peace is in those struggles. Because we can look back and see what the Lord did in the prosperous times of life. Where things were going so well. Things were going well. You know, I'm in my 50s now and I'm loving my 50s. I, don't want, to, I want to look back and say, oh, this is wonderful because I know the challenges are going to be in the future. I can look back and see that the Lord was faithful then and he will be faithful to me even now. So, you know, friends, we press forward. We press forward in faithfulness to the Lord, don't we? So we see true joy and true peace from the Lord in verses 6 through 7. Let's look at part 4, verses 8 through 10. It says this, To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. I'm sure we've all cried that prayer out to the Lord before. There's a ministry here at Old North that I've had the honor of overseeing for the past 14 years, a ministry called Grief Share. It's a ministry for those that have lost loved ones, and we get together as a small group and encourage one another. And started it 14 years ago. We've had 185 people come through Grief Share at Old North in those years. And I've heard incredible stories, many stories. But there's one in particular that stood out to me. It's a mother that came to Grief Share that had... Uh, her teenage son died of leukemia. Heartbroken, she came in, a believer that trusted in the Lord, but heart was soft and sad. And she had recalled a time when she was down in Memphis at St. Jude's with her son. And they had told her that her son was going to die, he wasn't going to make it. And she had gone back to the little dorm room that they had, and she had gotten a shower and came out and was in the dorm room. And fell to her knees and said, you can fix this. Lord, you could fix my son. And in that moment, she realized she was worshiping God. Because she was crying out to the only one that could fix the situation that she was in. And she says, even today, even though her son had passed away and has gone to be with the Lord... She still worships him because he is a good God. So we see that the Lord has the joy and mercy of this world fades away, but the joy and peace in the Lord is eternal. Let's look at part five, verses 11 through 12. It says, for you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. To the Lord I cry for mercy. 
I will give thanks to you forever and ever. David cried that out through his challenges. This passage here is one of the most joyful in all of Scripture. Some of the most joyful in all of Scripture. David is shouting from the mountaintops that my God has delivered me. You've turned my mourning into dancing, friends. And I will give thanks to you forever and ever. So we see true joy and true peace. I have in my hands here a book that my aunt gave me a number of years ago. It's called Liberty's Victorious Conflict. It's a photographic history of the World War. And I asked her, I said, well, which war are you talking about? This is talking about, and it's like, ooh, it's World War I. So incredible stories are in here, incredible pictures. Uh, It was published by Women's Weekly magazine. I don't even know if they exist anymore. Um, In 1918, this book came out. And there's lots and lots of pictures that goes all the way through the war. What's interesting about World War I, some statistics that I had found and dug up, says the number of military and civilian casualties in World War I was about 40 million. Estimates range from 20 to 21.5 million deaths and about 20 to 22 million wounded military personnel, ranking it among the deadliest conflicts in human history. What's interesting about World War I is something called trench warfare. There was some trench warfare. It's where you have a six-foot trench on one side of the battlefield. You'd have an army in there, let's say the British, and they're in there ready to march over across the battlefield. Across the way, you'd have the Germans in a six-foot trench. One army would get out across a place called No Man's Land, which was the spot in between. There was barbed wire and mines and machine guns ready to fire. So an army would get out of the trench, charge the other army, and they would be mowed down with machine gun fire. The other army across the way would get out, do the exact same thing, get mowed down by machine gun fire. It was horrific like any conflict. It was a horrific, horrific conflict. Incredible. But on December 25th, 1914, there was a halt in the war. The British army and the German army were in their trenches across from each other. And this is what happened as told by soldiers that were there. Henry Williamson, then a 19-year-old private in the London Rifle Brigade, wrote this to his mother. Dear mother, I am writing from the trenches. It is 11 o'clock in the morning. Beside me is a coke fire. Opposite me is a dugout, wet with straw in it. The ground is sloppy in the actual trench, but frozen elsewhere. And my mouth is a pipe, and the pipe is tobacco. Of course, you say, but wait. In the pipe is German tobacco. Ha, you say, from a prisoner found in the captured trench? Oh dear, no. From a German soldier. Yes, a live German soldier from his own trench. Yesterday, the British and Germans met and shook hands in the ground in between the trenches and exchanged souvenirs and shook hands. Yes, all day Christmas Day as I write. Marvelous, isn't it? Joseph Wenzel, the German soldier, said this, What I had still believed to be madness several hours ago, I could see with my own eyes. Bavarians and English, until then the greatest of enemies, shook hands, talked, and exchanged items. A single star stood in the sky directly above them, 
and was interpreted by many as a special sign. More and more joined, and the entire line greeted each other. Another rifleman from the 5th London Rifle said this, Then suddenly lights began to appear along the German line, which were evidently makeshift Christmas trees, adorned with lighted candles, which burnt steadily in the frosty air. First the Germans would sing one of their carols, then we would sing one of ours, until we all started up with, O come all ye faithful. The Germans immediately joined in singing the same hymn, and I thought, well, this is a most extraordinary thing. Two nations singing the same carol in the middle of a war. I think the politicians of our own country can learn a lot from the soldiers of World War I, don't you think? So for a, but a brief time, there was joy and peace on the front lines of World War I, but that did not last long, as you can imagine. Because not too long after that day, the fighting started once again, and the same soldiers that were opposite in the trenches that had come out and exchanged tobacco and souvenirs and hugged each other were shooting at each other. Friends, the joy and peace of this world doesn't last long, does it? It doesn't last long. As I mentioned earlier that my daughter will be getting married this year, this coming October, and I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to, it's going to be a classic Youngstown wedding. We're going to have a cookie table, I'm telling you right now, we're having a cookie table at this wedding, it's going to be in Mill Creek Park, it's going to be joyful and wonderful, we cannot wait for that to happen, but that will not be true joy and peace. A couple of months ago, my wife Jerry and I had the opportunity to go and visit um, the Hoffsmiths, Kyle and Jenna, and their brand new baby, Madeline. It's wonderful getting to hold a brand new baby. There's joy and peace that's there, and getting to see a mother and a father with joy and peace on their face. A little bit of fright, a little bit. But joy and peace, but friends, even a little baby or a grandchild does not bring true joy and peace. Maybe your kids have come home from college, and you're excited. They come home from college, they're finally back in their own room. They're sitting at the kitchen table. They're back from college. This is a wonderful, wonderful time of rejoicing. But friends, that is not true joy and peace. Even simple things like our sports teams. I'm not going to mention the Buckeyes, but I'm going to mention something happened in 2016. I'm a huge Cleveland Indians fan. Big Tribe fan. Love the Indians. 2016, they're in the World Series. It's Game 7 two outs, a runner on base, two strikes, they're down by two, and Rajay Davis of the Cleveland Indians is up, hits a two-run home run, I'm jumping up and down in my living room, he tied it, they tied it, they tied it, screaming and hollering, my son would probably turn over here if he were here and say, Dad, you're embarrassing me, but I was screaming and hollering, they tied it, only to have them lose two innings later, <laughs> lose the World Series. So friends, there are wonderful things that the Lord brings us in this life, isn't there? They bring us joy and peace, but the joy and peace of this world fades away. But the joy and peace in the Lord is eternal. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this from David, or from Paul. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us, looking to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I've always struggled with this passage of scripture. I've struggled with it. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured a cross. For the joy set before him endured a cross. A cross, my friends. And I thought about that. I thought it wasn't the physical pain of the cross that brought him joy, but it was the salvation that was brought to those who have received him as Savior. Friends, the joy of the cross was you and me. That was the joy of the cross. He walked the road of pain for us and he counted it as joy because of you and me. Yes, the joy and peace of this world fades away, but the joy and peace of the Lord is truly eternal. So how do we respond to our Lord? How do we respond to such a great salvation? David says these words in Psalm 51, and it's how we need to respond with joy and peace. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold in me a willing spirit. The joy of your salvation. That is true joy and that is true peace. Friends, our God is the only one that can bring true joy and true peace. And you know what? It's for eternity. It's for eternity. Friends, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are truly in awe of you, Lord. You have saved us by your merciful and forgiving hand. We deserve nothing from you, but you lavish your love upon us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for being our true joy and peace. Amen.